Our scripture lesson for today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. You can follow along in your worship guide, pages 6 and 7. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever, of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that your life will be long on the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not desire your neighbor's house. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the horn and the mountain smoking, the people shook with fear and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid, because God has come only to test you and make sure you are always in awe of God so that you don't sin. The people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness in which God was present. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, David. So today we are concluding our worship series on the debate that's raging within the United Methodist Church, particularly over the aspect of human sexuality. We, we began this conversation simply setting up kind of the conundrum, the circumstances that we as a church find ourselves in uh, from the general church level, knowing that we as a local church could certainly keep quiet, we could just remain silent, we could ignore the topic, and we could hope that whatever happens at the special session of the general conference and, and its recommendations, that it just simply not apply to us. We could live into that kind of reality. We could try to make that our reality, but most of us know that that will not be true for us. Things are going to happen at the general church level that will filter down, will have an impact for us. And so based upon your questions, your desires to address this proactively, we've decided to have this conversation, to break our silence about it, to be able to converse openly about what is going on in our church and the two sides that are wrestling right now. We, we do this with some commonly held principles in mind. That, that Stephen Covey reminds us that as people we're supposed to seek first to understand things fully, not to just simply be understood. So much of our conversation today is about making your point and getting it across, making sure that 
Others maybe adopt your point without really understanding what other people believe or, or perceive about the world. So we need to be a people who are open to conversation so that we might understand what is going on around us. I came out of the Brookside Market yesterday. I was over doing a little bit of shopping, and there was a gentleman standing on the sidewalk, and he had a couple of clipboards in his hand, and he asked me if I was a Kansas City, Missouri voter. I said, yes, I am. He says, well, what do you think about the proposal to give the Hyatt Regency, I think he said $311 million or something like that, right? I looked at him and I said, well, number one, this is news to me. I'm not even familiar with the conversation that you're asking me about. So rather than sign a petition on it, I would like to go home and read about it and research it a little bit and find out what actually is going on rather than just sign a petition that I haven't read or don't know anything about. The guy stood there for a second, and then he looked at me and he said, Nobody does that. To which I thought, there's the problem, right? <laughs> nobody seeks to understand things, kind of. Now, i got to take that back. Not nobody. A lot of people do try to research these things. But to think that people would just say, yes, I agree with that, and would sign a petition without maybe being more informed. Our aspect is to be informed. We want to seek to be understood and, and understand what's going on in these circumstances, while also understanding that one of our deeply held beliefs and principles is to maintain unity in the body of Christ. That this not be a divisive conversation for us, but one where we learn. Which brings us to today. Today I'm going to pose the question for all of us to consider, and that question is, can we as a church remain silent? Should we go forward from here and be silent? Now, The simple answer is certainly yes or no. We can or we can't. We can remain silent. We can retreat right back into silence if we want to, and that be our firmly held belief together. Or we can say that we want to shout from the steeple-tops a strong message of advocacy one way or the other. That could be how we approach this as a congregation. But I want to reposition the question and ask you something a little different. The question I think we ought to wrestle with today is, should we remain silent? Should we choose that? I propose to you that not all change is bad. Very loud voices have brought some really healthy change to our world and to our societies. Over much of human history, we know that patriarchy and male dominance and prominence have been the norm in the world. All of us have heard the saying, this is a man's world, right? We've heard that said over and over. For millennia, the voice of women has been suppressed in our cultures around the world. In 1881, the leaders of the Isle of Man granted property-owning women the right to vote. It was the first time in their society. Not far behind that was New Zealand, the South Colony of Australia, the mainland of Australia. They would grant women the right to vote as well in the late 1800s. It wasn't until 1920 with the ratification of the 19th Amendment that women were given the right to vote in the United States. And believe it or not, in 2015, women in Saudi Arabia finally were given the right to vote. 
Now think with me. What if people, and women in particular, had just simply remained silent and let things be as they were? Where would we be today when it came to just simple things like voting rights? But women around the world decided to speak up, decided to speak out about the inequality between men and women. In our country, it was historical figures like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Susan B. Anthony, They led the charge in the suffrage movement for women to obtain the right to vote. We also know that for well over 6,000 years of recorded human history, humans have had a tendency to enslave one another. We have used one another as slaves. Prior to the 1700s, slavery was predicated on classism, not race. Even slavery was practiced by the warring tribes of Africa based upon their class and social struggles, not based upon race. It wasn't until later that this became a separation based upon race and inequality. And even though we ended slavery in the late 1800s, the policy of separate but equal divided, permeated our society for a long, long time. In several southern cities, if you didn't know this, buses were divided. The front, in the front of the bus, whites would be able to sit. In the back of the bus, persons of ethnic descent would sit in the back of the bus. If the white section of the bus filled up and a white passenger got on, then they would make an African-American person stand up, give up their seat so the white person could sit down. In the early 1940s and 1950s, People, including women such as Irene Morgan, Lily Mae Bradford, Sarah Louise Keyes, they challenged this policy, but had little effect. December 1st, 1955, a tired secretary got on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. As the white section of the bus filled up, the driver by the name of James F. Blake ordered Rosa Parks to get up out of her seat so a white patron could sit down And she refused. She refused to give up her seat and was arrested for civil disobedience. Her actions sparked what became known as the Montgomery Bus Company boycott. Every African American in Montgomery boycotted riding the bus. They set up their own little ride share program and got all the way around Montgomery for several weeks and months. It actually broke the back of the bus company. And they had to change their policies regarding the division of the bus. What if these persons, these women, had simply stayed quiet, stayed in their place? Where would we be today? Today is Mother's Day, as you all know. Today we honor women in our lives. Literal, figurative mothers. Women who have influenced and shaped us. Women whose legacies we are invited to honor and carry forward in our own lives. If you think about the fifth commandment in the Decalogue, or what we call the Ten Commandments, God says this, Honor your father and your mother so that your life will be long on the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I find this language extremely interesting. Because in Moses' time, patriarchy was the norm. The male progenitor of the house owned everything in the house, And his greatest goal was to have a firstborn son 
to pass that on, to perpetuate that cultural norm. And yet in this, God says, honor your father and your mother. The inclusive image that God gives us of people who can nurture, form, and shape us and give to us things to hold on to, to carry forward. If you look at the word honor in the book of Genesis, honor is, is something that is signifying a problem for the people. The writer is addressing the tension between one generation and the next generation. You heard that early on when God said that God wants to be the only God they worship. And if they fail to do that, then the punishment extends down multiple generations. But if they live into it, the blessing will be even greater for them as people. The goal of the Exodus narrative was to ensure that the children, generation upon generation upon generation, would know and embrace God's liberation story for their ancestors. To hold on to that as meaningful for them and empowering. The Hebrew word for honor simply means give weight to. In other words, don't treat your parents' story of struggle, liberation, and journey lightly. Don't just dismiss it because it's only their experience. But rather give it great weight. Give it serious attention as you pay attention to the story and learn to live into some of the elements that are applicable generation after generation. So that doesn't mean that the next generation is simply also to blindly adopt our traditionalism and simply to lay down at the feet of maintaining the way things were. Rather, they're supposed to be nurtured in the way we were and what we can become in God. True honoring of our elders, in particular this day mothers, is to understand and appreciate their journey, to give them respect in order to be found trustworthy with that mantle of vision and leadership that God hands from generation to generation. So God wants us to honor, honor our mothers by seeking to understand their journey and how it shaped them and how it shapes us, how it gives us voice as the next generation. I was recently reading a book, and the, and the author used the image of plants that are by nature heliotropic. Right? Now that means that they are a diurnal or seasonal kind of plant, and they follow the motion of the sun as it crosses over the earth. The flowers and the leaves turn in its direction and simply follow it. As the sun moves across the sky, the flowers and the leaves just simply also follow right along, right? My great-grandmother, Amy Pyle, was the sun of my childhood. She was a simple woman filled with faith. She was a faithful member of the Nazarene Church in Butler, Missouri. When we visited the farm, she took care of us. As children, she would take us to church whenever she went. But she didn't just take us to church. She shared her faith with us as well. She taught us to read the Bible. She taught us how to pray. She taught us the value of work before fun. She taught us to enjoy creation. Where the rays of her example led, we grandchildren, like little flowers, turned and followed her. Over the years, I've given this great weight in my life. I hope that someday I'll be able to live in to my great-great-grandmother's example, that I might be the kind of person that she was. And someday I hope that my children, my grandchildren, 
even my great-great-grandchildren, if I, Lord, ever get any of those, that they might be influenced by the rays of her faith that shines through me. But I know this much. For me personally, it's not going to happen if I remain silent about what I believe and what God is calling me to proclaim. If I'm personally silent, then will the heritage of my faith be inherited by those that are behind me? So I want us to consider this at, at two levels then. As a person, should we individually and corporately remain silent? At the corporate level, we can certainly say yes, we we could remain silent or no, we shouldn't be. But I want to think about our history as a church a little bit and discuss it and see what it is leading us towards and to become. I think we all know that St. John's formed on this property April of 1950. That was our, our launching service, was Palm Sunday of that year. For the past 67 years, we have conducted worship services here faithfully. We've done spiritual formation, mission projects, outreach events. VIM teams have gone. We have shared our voice in particular ways as we have engaged the neighbors that are around us. But I'm wondering in our history where we were during certain things that happened in the world around us. During the Civil Rights Movement, did we as a community of faith St. John's, have a voice in that? Or were we pretty silent about it? How about the assassination of vocal leaders like John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy? Did we have a voice in those moments? Or did we just simply let them go by us? Many of us remember the uprisings and the protests during the Vietnam War on college campuses like Kent State University and the tragedy that happened there as students, unarmed students, were shot by those from the um, army. Were we as a church vocal about that? Did we speak out or were we silent? We've had our own troubles here in Kansas City. You think about just the school district alone and the, and the issues we've had with segregation, desegregation, accreditation. Where has our voice been in those kinds of matters? Have we been on the positive leading edge or have we been silent? All of us know that we as a church, our beloved church, we now find ourselves on a, at the brink of a schism. And we as a church could certainly stand and remain silent or we could choose to do something different. That's our corporate kind of shaping. But here's what I know. I don't think it begins at the corporate level for us. It begins with each one of you. And the conversation that you're having with yourself and your family and with God to form and to shape where you are in this and to determine if you can stay silent or if you need to be a person that speaks up for that to be who you become and are. I think it is faithful for some of us simply to choose to be silent. That's not a bad response. That may be where God is leading you in this conversation. You're one of prayerful support. You're one who intuitively thinks about this, but you're not necessarily one who's going to vocalize a lot. You believe that we should be quiet, and that's the way we should approach this in this time and in this place, and that's perfectly acceptable. Not all of us are called by God to be prophets, to speak out. Some of us are the quiet, supportive, prayerful crowd who loves their church and supports and wants the best for their church. But I think there's others of us in this crowd as well that want to be vocal about some things, 
want more conversation about this. Want to be, have a lived experience that forms and shapes our spirituality, especially when it comes to issues that are social and about justice. That we believe in a kind of vocal activism as well, not a divisive activism, but to be able to have conversation that is about this and to listen to one another. I think it's important for us to validate that those are both respectful choices from an individual kind of level. So the answer to my question, should we remain silent, may just simply be, it depends upon how God is speaking to each one of us. And what you believe will honor the faithful who have gone before you, especially your mothers, and how you live out the faith that they have shared with you. The interesting thing, though, is in in this conversation with the people, the people said, Moses, you go up into the cloud and speak to God and let God speak to you. Don't let God speak to us because we'll die, right? Well, guess what, dear friends? I don't think you're going to die if God speaks to you. So here's your invitation today. To boldly enter a conversation with God. A prayerful conversation with God. And maybe take an opportunity to re-listen to these sermons. and List out your pros and your cons of the two sides of the church. And to pray and ask God where you might participate and how you might participate in this. If you want to be the silent supporter, if you want to be one who wants more conversation that forms and shapes us. And to let you know that I will be holding a follow-up conversation for us as a congregation. So mark your calendars on June 17th. That's a Saturday, 9 a.m. down in Brookside Hall. We're going to gather together for conversation. Because in this, I know that in the preaching task, this has been pretty much a one-way conversation. Jim sharing a lot with you. But now it's your opportunity to share back with me and with one another. To have more conversation together so that we can understand what it is that we believe God is calling us to be. As a congregation, I will say this. Jim will not be presenting a motion for a vote on that day. Do you hear that? Okay? It's conversation to understand and to live into our desire to be a unified body of Christ. So let me say this in closing to each one of you. I want to remind you of some of the words of the book of discipline. I've I've read a lot out of the book of discipline, but I want to remind you of these words. It simply says, all of us are people of sacred worth to God. Not just the members of St. John's United Methodist Church. All people are of sacred worth to God. And whether you agree with the Orthodox folks and the Good News Movement and the Wesleyan Covenant Association or you align maybe a little bit more with the folks in Reconciling Ministries Network, let us remember that every single one of us, as well as our neighbors who live right around our church and live right next door to us, we are all people of sacred worth to God. And so I think our first response to every person should be to see the image of God in them and to respond to them with the very love that God shares with us. I believe, dear friends, that would be a faithful way to honor all women, our mothers, on this Mother's Day. Would you join me in a moment of prayer?
Righteous God, your mercy awaits us when we return to you in meekness and repentance. We ask that you cleanse us from selfishness, falseness, and judgmentalism, which separates us from your fellowship and fellowship with one another. And we pray that through your atoning love, you might heal the brokenness in our lives and in our world with wholeness restored. We ask that you help us to live for the coming of your Son, our Savior. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.